Hello and welcome. You are listening to Resiliency, a podcast that takes an inside look at enhancing the vitality and resilience of field workers. From experts in member care to frontline field workers, our guests will bring you their experience, their lessons learned, and always something practical you can take away and use to increase your resiliency in cross-cultural life and ministry. Co-hosts Silas West and Steve Finley are just one part of an ever-growing and strengthening net of member care in the Antioch movement. They want to see Matthew 24:14 happen and do everything they can to help field workers have the kind of resilience that enables them to make it for the long haul. Hey there, listeners. Happy New Year and welcome back to Resiliency. Steve and I are excited to have Cindy Lewis back for part two of our interview with her on the importance of belonging and developing resiliency. So without further ado, let's jump into our interview with Cindy. Cindy, thank you again so much for being here with us on Resiliency Podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. (laughs) We wanted to ask you to share today because of uh, all the great stuff we talked about in our our last interview, Um, but one of the things that we really didn't get to was the practicals that you had outlined in a document that you sent us, and we believe that was such a worthwhile thing for us to have you share and and give insight to that we wanted to devote another episode to just talking through some of these more practical steps toward belonging. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Steve and I are just going to go through with you and have you talk about the different elements of it and maybe even some of the, the practical element itself, but then also the why behind it. That sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. And I invite you into my home today. You've invited me, but I am inviting you also. I'm standing um, in front of a collage of the faces of the women who gave me a really lovely life in Indonesia. I described that in my stories in our last um, episode. And I'm also standing before some jottings of stories and good memories attached to some of the practices that I learned that prepared me to belong and my one of my I think main messages in our last episode is that a sense of belonging locally across cultures is one of the Lord's most tenderest gifts to us and he wants us to have it because he delights in our well-being belonging is that deep human connection that yields a sense of well-being it's something he wants for us because he is our father. He, we are family. We are family with our heavenly father. We are family with Jesus. And even, you'll remember John 20, Jesus said, as the father has sent me, I am sending you. Did he send us into isolation and austerity and a sense of sort of alienation from self? No. He sent us as family, just like uh, my pastor at our Antioch Church in Pasadena said just recently when they were launching a family overseas for their first um, season overseas, he reminded those who were there to pray and launch, remember, we do not send workers, we send family. And I can't tell you how that impacted me hearing it for the first time. Because when I was sent, and it was very compelling, and I was very inspired and happy to be sent in this way, but in my 
era when I was sent, it was to fulfill a purpose, not to feel my feelings. <laughs> and I think if I, if I had uh, spoken so passionately about the importance of belonging back then, it would have been seen at that stage of our human culture back then in the early 80s, um, it would have been seen as something of an indulgence, I think. Mm -hmm. May have been a mark, a mark in your file, huh? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but I just feel so encouraged that those who are being launched as international family members carry this very wholesome, wholesome sense of emotional connection to the church family, and they land on the field where Jesus is sending them, and they already have this personal culture and spiritual anticipation of belonging. Why, why wouldn't they? People who are sent and received back like that have enjoyed an explicit promise and an implicit promise of being cared for in a way that will nurture this sense of being family with God, family with one another, and there is this hope that it will also create a yearning and make and make possible belonging with your next door neighbor hmm. overseas wherever that is from start to finish there is this family idea and in the middle for all the years of our service if we are willing to accept that this is one of the ways god manifests his mercy and goodness to us we can invest our hearts and and actually hope for a happy life across cultures cindy i think one of the things that stands out to me the first several points on on your document even the pro practices that poise us to receive the gift of belonging is what you titled mm -hmm. that the first couple ones has a lot to do with what you were just saying of, of setting out mm -hmm. intentionally what your expectations are going to be Mm -hmm. But all of those have to do with the mindset going into it. If you go into it thinking that you're going to be isolated and cut off, then you might experience a feeling of isolation and being cut off versus going into it mm -hmm. expecting you to transition and enculturate into a new sense of belonging. Yes, I think that is often true. And I must say, because of the mentoring that I received through authors, through my favorite M biography. I, I was raised into a mindset that was ready to suffer, ready to experience hardship. And when I started to experience happiness and this, I, I made reference to this deep satisfaction, like a well-fit shoe, like finding my humanity fitting so beautifully with the humanity and mutual need for Jesus of my neighbors, I, I actually, it didn't take me long once the Lord started to intervene to shift me into that mindset, but I needed, I didn't start with a whole lot of self-awareness because of how I was reared in my, um, my M orientation. So maybe, maybe I can just share how the Lord started to turn me. I was reaching out to neighbors those were the stories of last episode, but I, I do want to confess that there was time when, within the first five or six years, 
when I was active and beginning to feel fruitful, but I still sometimes felt desolate. Desolate is a feeling of emptiness, of loneliness. Sometimes people who are happy and love, love to be among people can sometimes just suddenly feel lonely in a crowd. And so we must never assume that certain personalities will ready to connect immediately and then you know those others may have a different pathway. We all, we just don't know how this is gonna work. But the Lord intervened for me. I who loved people still felt lonely sometimes. And there was one night in particular, I, I felt this um, heartache and I didn't understand it. And I was learning to trust the Lord to be sweet to me when I went to him in prayer. I said, Lord, I trust you to be kind to me. I want to expose to you, ex open my heart wide to you and ask you, what is this ache within me? Please, would you take it apart and tell me what it is made of? Because I want you to build on it. I want you to cultivate me. But if this is something hindering me, I want you to touch it and heal it. I want you to grow it, whatever, whatever this is that you understand. And then suddenly I heard the Lord say to me, you long to belong. And when he said that, I hurt even more. When he put it into words, I knew it was true. And so I cried and I said, oh, Father, it must be true because my heart is breaking even as you speak this. Now I can understand how others feel who do not belong, who yearn for a place, who yearn for community and membership. And then I lie still and quiet again. And the Lord answered me and he said, there's a Cindy-shaped place in my heart. Mm -hmm. And that is where you belong. And I just, I cried for the sweetness of it. And it became one of those markers in my life where I always knew that even though I was far from my physical homeland, I had a home in God's heart. And indeed, he had a home in me. And then here I am, moved by God to make my home in a in a neighborhood in Indonesia, and um, I began to watch for others who felt this uh, yearning to belong, and it was such a joy to begin a journey home to God's heart, where we, where the only place where we can truly belong, um, even with Mike cousin neighbors and girlfriends um, this is actually the Lord's intervention to show me my need for belonging I told you in the last episode about my goodbye with the Indonesian women whom I loved and who loved me and we we were a small home uh, group meeting Jesus together and uh, they told me that I belonged among them. So it was a celebration of belonging to even to say goodbye to them. Well, the thing that I need to tell you is that when I re-entered life in the States, I experienced all over again that yearning to belong and a bit of a personal crisis um, because belonging requires connection and I was still so fresh. 
I just had freshly arrived and I was, I felt like a newbie and <laughs> I sort of had to start over like we do when we cross cultures anywhere, even coming home again. But I knew exactly what the Lord was saying. And he was saying, come back to simplicity, come back to belonging. It is enough that you belong to me. It is enough. It's like he, the Lord's intervened once again, and he snapped me out of this mindset of pressure and striving to make a, find a place for myself. He took me right back to all the sweet spots where of years past when I gave myself to the sweet stuff of establishing a relational basis for my resiliency. And it was important for me to tell you that because um, many of us who serve across cultures are intense. We are very um, inspired. We are deeply compelled by purpose. But the Lord, I think, will always bring us back to these belonging issues because he wants us to pursue simplicity and intimacy. Mm. If mm. Yes. So it will always bring us back back to there. So one of the practices that has been wonderful for me is what I call checking in with the Lord midday. And this might be one of the most important things I have to convey. What I would do years ago was to take this prayer rug and I made it like a portable holy place. <laughs> it was a sacred space for me. I could roll it up and put it in my purse. I would urge any, any of you and associate it with, with a, a ready connection with the Lord. I, I, I would hurry back to my prayer rug after lunch, almost every day. After lunch, I would send my small children either to a nap or to read in their, on their bed. And I knew that I had an hour because that was our family lifestyle, an hour of rest or prayer or reading um, after lunch, I knew I could go back. And sometimes if the morning had been hard, because I homeschooled and, and did some other things in the mornings, um, sometimes I just collapsed on the rug and said, and sighed. Or sometimes it was sort of an, oh, it's so good to be with you again. Or, oh, Jesus, I miss you. And then I would just be quiet. And then sometimes this, just a sweet relational question would rise in me like, Lord, you know my reality. I'm a young mother. I really only have two hours of discretionary time this afternoon before I need to bathe my children and get dinner going. How shall we spend the afternoon, Lord? I could pray that with a smile on my face because I knew that I was that child who could knock and Father would open. I could ask and be answered and receive. I could seek and find. I had this growing confidence that Father himself loved me and that he was committed to my well-being and he was committed to his, his purposes. And uh, he would instruct me to do something, and even if it seemed very mundane or very small, I knew he could make it strategic. So sometimes he would say, don't worry, 
stay home today. I will send someone to you. And a neighbor woman would open the metal gate in our front yard and come in and sit with me on the front porch for half an hour. And whether she stayed 15 minutes or two hours until I had to bathe my kids, I knew that God had sent her. And I believed that if it was something God did, it was enough. So I did a lot of very practical things in the morning, including um, attending to my children. But in the afternoon, I really only had this limited window of time. And when the Lord spoke, or when he did not speak very clearly, I knew to rest in the assurance that he would guide the use of that time. Well, one day he said, quickly, get up from prayer and walk up the pathway toward the home of of that woman who recently um, slandered you and exploited you. And whenever the Lord would speak to me with something so specific, I obeyed immediately. And amazingly, that woman also had been moved at that moment to walk toward my house. And we met halfway and fell into each other's arms and wept in forgiveness. This is how precise the Lord is. I think that may have been the only, you could call ministry encounter that I had all, all afternoon, but it was, it was heaven touching my neighborhood and it was me engaging in intimacy with, with Jesus to see his kingdom come. It's just, I think it's a wonderful practice there's something about coming back when we've had a little bit of an energy drain and we need instructions or need inspiration for the rest of the day. If he says, either with words or just a, a sense of motivation, that maybe you should walk down the pathway because there's something's going to happen, do it. It just makes life with him such a, a joy and an adventure. Yeah, just a beautiful story of your own personal experience, Cindy, and I know you have many. You had mentioned another practical, practical about belonging to a culture. And I'll ask you to say some of the specifics about it. But you said, you know, don't provide everything for yourself. Talk to us a little bit about that. Okay. I can't remember if someone had recommended this to me. It could have been a word of advice um, to me as a newcomer from perhaps an older colleague. I can't remember. But uh, we did live in sort of an urban village setting where there there was, there was naturally an interdependence between the neighbors because no one person could afford to buy all of the appliances or the transport vehicle that they needed individually. So there was naturally in the culture a lot of sharing, um, collective um, sense of ownership. So I learned that if I needed to bake a cake and I needed, for example, an electric mixer, it would be better for my belonging in the neighborhood for me to acknowledge that I have needs and that I need my neighbors and that my needing them lifted them. It lifted them above me in my own mind and 
they felt the dignity of my being one of them. So I would go next door, down the pathway, sometimes further than I needed to go because I needed a way to connect with someone who maybe I was having trouble connecting with. So I would say, oh, please, I'm so, I would be so embarrassed if I couldn't provide my guests tomorrow this lovely cake, but I need a mixer. And I'm just wondering, please, would you help me? And oh, the woman's face would just light up because she had the honor of, of providing for me. And I honored her and then she honored me by, by providing for me. And I could keep it a few days even. If she needed it urgently, she would come to me and say, may I borrow back the electric mixer? And, and I started to learn, oh, when there is this stream of sharing, um, it makes us all brothers and sisters in a way that I have never really um, learned before. So besides uh, kitchen appliances, um, one time I had, a, I had a, an American guest staying in my home and she needed to repair her green blouse. And um, it needed to be reinforced at the seam. And so she said, Cindy, please, would you, would you bring me some green thread? And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I don't have any green thread. And she said, what? You don't have green thread? <laughs> and I said, no, I might have a spool of white thread, but that's literally all I've got. And she said, why in the world would you not spend 25 cents to have green thread, and maybe buy yourself a complete set of colors. And I said, because that would mean that I would not need to go next door no. and encounter my neighbor and ask for some green thread. And she understood. And oh, the honor, the mutual respect just builds and builds. And pretty soon, there, there truly is this sense of Cindy, the foreigner, becomes a friend. Mm -hmm. What a practical, practical idea. Um, another one that you br brought up in your, in your document has mm -hmm. to do with language learning. And since that's something that it, it crosses so many cultures and countries, every, almost everybody has to deal yes. with language learning. The, yes. the specific questions that you, that you suggested, can you talk just for yes. a, a little bit about that? Sure. In the last episode, I think I talked about, I needed to be strategic in the realms of vocabulary that I pursued in this first long season of language acquisition, knowing that I had time and energy, not for the entire language, but for a focus, I very carefully chose the language that I would pursue so that I could connect emotionally with neighbor women, since I'm a woman. And um, as I listened, to my neighbors and then to my, my female language tutors, because I went to uh, neighbor women, older neighbor women, I asked about the language of hospitality. And back then also, I asked, what does hospitality look like here? What does love look like? What does generosity look like? That was an important one because in a collectivistic society, mm -hmm. mm, we yeah. are expected to share a godly person is not tight-fisted. A godly person is generous. 
So you have to find out what does that look like? What does generosity look like in this culture? And I, I experienced such grace, grace of God amongst my neighbors that sometimes I had, I had a very sweet experience of even identifying the fruits of the Spirit in that very culture. I made it a point of watching for it, searching for it. What, what does love look like here in this cultural context? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Mm -hmm. Hope I didn't miss one. Mm -hmm. Do you know because God was present there, the fruits of his spirit were there. I encountered in the kindness of my neighbor, in the generosity and patience of my neighbor when I was still learning and apt to make some uh, offenses from time to time. I actually saw, oh, this is how God reveals goodness here in this cultural setting. It was a great experience, and it, it, can, be, it can be very enriching for um, language and culture acquisition to come at it with this mindset. Lord, I'm watching for you. What does kindness look like? How can I, this could be language learning for certain, but also cultural adaptation would mean that I'm ready to change my life, change the way I live, change the way I see in order to align myself or synchronize my social calendar to the events that move my neighbors, the life cycle events, the birthdays. And for us in that setting in Indonesia, the circumcision ceremonies and the weddings and the so many markers in everyone's lifetime are celebrated. So I would say to my language helper, tell me about the, the day before the wedding of my dear friend that I'm going to be attending next week, and I want to know about it beforehand. Tell me, what will this look like, and how can I invest my heart? How can I walk right into it and be a blessing and be, be a belonger even. It was not an audacious, such an audacious thought to me at that point. If I adapted not only my language and what I hope to see, what does kindness look like? What about generosity? What, what does hospitality look like here? It just started to feel so natural. Mm. And um, it was full of God. Oh, it was such a God thing. But it's amazing when God manifests himself in in the our human dailiness, the dailiness of our lives. It was just so beautiful to find him. Um, so I would urge anyone, especially in the first, maybe first two to five years of language and culture acquisition, to find the language and watch for manifestations of the, of the values that you, that you treasure, because you are going to find them. Because wherever God is, you're going to find his, his spirit moving people and stirring and um, saving and intervening, sometimes through harsh circumstance. But he is there taking hold of the right hand of our neighbor who is in a tough spot and needs to know Jesus. It's all, it's all part of the, learning pro the language learning process.
Cindy, mm -hmm. we love what you are, are sharing. We could almost feel like we're outside the subject of resiliency in a sense, but mm -hmm. yet this is right down the middle of what it takes okay. to belong and, to, and to, to last in a culture is to love the culture. So that's awesome. Yeah, and to receive, to receive love means that we have love to give. Mm -hmm. And receiving love is just another one of one of the descriptions perhaps of belonging. So yeah, I return, I return to that now. Um, in our conversation. That's great. Yeah. I think our natural reflex, Cindy, is to jump to our comfort zone of our team or our, our possible expatriate or M community first for, you know, something that's very happy to hear or hard to hear. But you shared with Silas and me about how rich it is and how much a sense of belonging there is in in uh, living those experiences first and foremost with your local friends. Why don't you just take us into that a little bit? Okay. So belonging, which I believe is a critical factor for our resiliency, is in its nature connection. And when we have experienced change, and even happy change involves loss, we we have a need to connect if we do not connect we become isolated but if we reach out immediately when we're aware of an emotion a happy emotion or perhaps a sad emotion or maybe just not feeling good physically if we reach out to connect immediately our participation in the local culture will become more complete rather than staying in our bedroom until we feel better or get our attitude right. If we're willing to see vulnerability as the treasure that it is, it connects us to someone who's working in our home, connects us to our neighbor. If we go out bearing the, the happy emotion as it was a moment ago, or go out bearing the reality of hard news from overseas. Maybe our mother is ill, or maybe um, something has happened that we can't do anything about, and we're feeling um, sad about that. If we go out, I promise you, there is someone on that street who has experienced that disappointment before, or that discouragement, or that joy, or that thrill, and there is something about either coming out of our bedroom and going into the kitchen to find someone perhaps that whom we employ or going out and finding the neighbor. There's something about that authenticity that will connect very readily with something that's true about that other person. And then we become aware we have invested into a stronger relational basis, which is belonging, which is fruitfulness, which is really investing God's presence where he, where he has sent us. And um, we could instead have uh, processed the, the hard emotion, if it was that, uh, in behind closed doors. Maybe we would feel the emotions of it and turn on the computer right away and 
write to um, a family member or write to a close friend. And it takes the edge off of the raw emotion that is powerful to connect us with someone. We could very appropriately use the, that powerful first, first moments of that emotion to connect us with someone in our home country. That's okay. In fact, maybe that's what God wants sometimes. But other times, if we feel the energy of the grief or the joy and we step outside and we let our local person receive the that initial expression it is it's not just for our comfort it is for the future of our relationship with our local local people well cindy we're going to have to wrap this up as much as i would love just to keep going on so just really grateful for you being willing to share it with us i'd mm. love for you to like we did the last time just to to pray a prayer of blessing and impartation on our listeners as we wrap this up for a close. Okay. Love to. Lord, I know that you think sweetly of us. I know your tender heart. I know that you understand when, especially when we're young and we set out with our hearts just burning for your kingdom, that we say to you, oh Lord, use me. But in the moments when you have intervened in my life and in the lives of, of my brothers and sisters uh, who have joined the podcast today, we've had so many opportunities to go even deeper than usefulness and find that what we want most of, most of all is to be loved. And so, Lord, of course we want you to use us, but mostly today we say, Lord, love us. Love us, Lord. Love us where we serve. Love us when we pray in solitude. Love us in plain sight of our neighbors. Make us an example of your unfailing love and your inexhaustible patience for the sake of those who will believe and be saved. We love you and we rest our lives in your unfailing love. Thank you that you delight in our well-being and that... We can hope for a happy and fruitful life wherever you send us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, friends, that's it for this week's episode. You've been listening to Resiliency. This episode has been produced by me, Silas West, with help from my co-host, Steve Finley. We are so grateful for the generosity of our guests for coming on the podcast today. We also want to give a big shout out to the band Honest Men, who wrote and performed the music in our intro and outro. Special thanks for the voice talent of Sarah Neely who introduced us at the beginning of the episode. If you liked what you heard, encourage your friends to subscribe and tune in in two weeks from now for the next episode of Resiliency.